Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. I'm excited today to be here with Melanie Hall. Melanie, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Yesterday was the summer solstice, so we had a lot of sunshine here in Montana, but we also had a an unexpected rain slash sleet slash hailstorm on the first day of summer, but today is looking up. So Well, I can relate to that. I'm recording this in the Adirondack Mountains, and June has not been very summer-like. But I am in the Adirondack Mountains, and you are in Montana. So even if the weather's not the best, we're both in pretty cool places. We're living a pretty good life here. We're living a pretty good life. Well, Melanie, I'm going to give a little bit of your background here for the listeners who may not know you, but you are the commissioner at the Division of Banking and Financial Institutions for the state of Montana, the great state of Montana. You also went to Lane Law School, and then you're also involved in a couple of, of really nice trade organizations, CSBS for Banking and NASCIS for State Chartered Credit Unions. And so you essentially supervise banks and credit unions for the state of Montana. And I'm excited to kind of pick your brain a little bit about what's going on in the credit union and banking landscape. Anything I missed there in, in the intro you'd like to add? I don't think so. I've been doing this job as commissioner for about 12 and a half years now. And so I feel like I have seen a lot of things. We've seen some interesting and new things lately. And I started in this role kind of in the rollout of Dodd-Frank. When I started, most of, I would say two thirds of our institutions in Montana were under some sort of enforcement action. And we've had a pretty good few years over the past couple. It's been, I think, a good time to be a bank and or a credit union. Our office also supervises mortgage brokers, mortgage servicers, mortgage lenders. So our office, for instance, licenses and supervises loan originators at Rocket Mortgage. And we examine Rocket as well. Montana actually last year was the lead state in the multi-state examination of Rocket. So we get to see a wide swath of the financial services landscape. Wow, I didn't realize that part of it. I, you know, I, as uh, in my role at NCUA, I dealt with state regulators all across the country. So there were some that had their own separate credit union division, some that had their own separate banking division, and some like yours. I think Massachusetts is similar to yours. They kind of cover the whole gamut. And when you and I got on the phone or got on the video here, I think you mentioned that there's cross-fertilization that you have with the way that you structure it between banks, credit unions, and perhaps maybe the mortgage companies. You want to speak a little bit to how that works and how long sure. you've been doing it that way and the, ben- the benefits that that provides? Sure. When I started here, we were very siloed. We had bank examiners, we had credit union examiners, and we had mortgage examiners. Our mortgage and non-depository team is still largely separate from banks and credit unions, although we do get some assistance from our non-depository people on compliance issues and compliance exams. But for the most part, when it comes to safety and soundness, we have combined our examination teams. We still have a separate credit union bureau chief to handle issues like field of membership, mergers, 
But if you are a bank or credit union in Montana and it is time for your exam, you are going to see the same group of examiners. And the reason we moved to that model is that we really had a situation where we were holding institutions to different standards and it didn't really make sense because our credit unions in Montana, there are about, I think right around 50 credit unions in Montana total, only nine of those today, and I think at the max it's been 10, are state chartered. So way back, long before my time, it was much more expensive to be a state chartered credit union. And so we have a lot of federally chartered credit unions in Montana. But of the credit unions that are state chartered, we have over 50% of the credit union assets in Montana. So we have a billion dollar credit union. We have a couple of $300 million credit unions, 300 plus. And so it occurred to us as we did this that Credit unions are financial institutions, as are banks. And really, if an institution is $250 million, we should be applying the same standards in terms of liquidity and interest rate risk management, capital and net worth work a little differently. But it would be good for our examiners and good for our institutions to be held to the same standards financially. Well, that makes sense. That triggers a couple of things in my mind. There's a book I refer to a lot called The Wisdom of Crowds. and getting that perspective from both sides, because there might be something that happens in credit unions before it happens in banks or vice versa. But as that happens, your staff sees it. And since they're available to the team on the credit union side, both can kind of benefit from that. And the other thing, it reminds me of my days at NCUA. Back in 2013, NCUA started a program called, a document called the National Supervision Policy Manual. And the reason that came about was because the NCUA board would go to functions and they'd say, well, I, you know, I was talking to a credit union in California and I'm in New York and California's uh, regional director said, do it this way. In New York was doing it the opposite way or differently. So there were things, some things that were put in place to create requirements that if there were going to be policy changes, they were going to be national. They weren't going to be regional as much. So it kind of gives all the staff kind of the opportunity to look at things and treat them on the same standard, as you said. Yeah. And we do see that. We see where, I mean, particularly on issues like BSA, if we're starting to see challenges on the BSA front or internal audit, I will tell you right now, internal audit is a pretty significant issue at banks and credit unions in Montana. And a lot of that is just due to staffing. And staffing pressures and challenges affect all of our institutions. They borrow and steal from one another. But Montana is a very large state, fourth largest in the country. I always say, like to remind people that we have a million people and over three million cows. So it's geographically just big. And that leads to challenges around finding experienced and qualified people in small rural communities to do things like compliance, audit, BSA, and IT. And so we really think that it's important to help make sure whether you're a $250 million bank or a $250 million credit union, you have the same vulnerabilities around things like IT, audit, fraud, governance issues. And so we just want to make sure that our bank examiners, our credit union examiners are all the same people so that they're sharing challenges that they're seeing, policies that they're seeing, new products and services that they're seeing, 
because we really, the old saying of we're the government and we're here to help, but we really do consider ourselves, we're public servants, we work for the state, assessments and licensing fees pay all of our salaries. So we really are here to satisfy the triple mandate that most states have, and that is to ensure economic opportunity for Montanans, to protect consumers, and to make sure that Montanans have access to a diverse array of financial service providers. And I try to keep that in mind and make sure that we are actually a partner with our regulated financial institutions and that we do everything in our power to make sure that they're successful because it makes our jobs easier. And over time, it makes the lives of Montanans better to have access to solid financial service providers. I will also do a quick plug here for our industry or regulator association groups, NASCAS and CSBS, because those allow us to do what you were talking about at NCUA. And that is come together and talk about things that other states are beginning to see that we may or may not be seeing yet in Montana. Often things I say start in the stand states. So right now there's a lot of discussion with our federal regulators and other states around pressures in CRE, particularly in office space, maybe due to the fact that most of us are working somewhat from home these days. And so we really value NASCA, CSBS, and our other regulator industry groups, which we're a member of a number because of all of the different types of industries that we supervise here and the value that they provide to us in terms of letting us see a broader perspective than I would see if all I ever did was sit in Montana and supervise Montana institutions. Sure. I always enjoyed going to NASCAS meetings, whether it was my regional meeting as a regional director where I met with all the states that I had, or the national meetings where you'd have breakout sessions. And I can remember Voli or Qoli, the life insurance product, when that was something that was getting introduced, is the the state regulators had seen it all before anybody at NCUA had because it started in banks, thus the name Voli, or if I'm saying that right, Voli. And then it moved over to credit unions. And, you know, there was a working group that got put together where the state regulators were helping educate NCUA. And I think there's a big summit maybe coming up that NASCAS has. Is there anything relative to that that you want to highlight? Sure. It's at the end of August, August 27th through the 29th, I think, right? 26th through the 28th, right, the, right around there, end of August. And it is in Nashville, Tennessee, which Although I am the commissioner from Montana, I will mention that I grew up in Mississippi and spent time every year in the mountains in Tennessee, Gatlinburg, Nashville, Knoxville, Pigeon Forge area. My mom was, despite the fact that we lived a mile from the beach, she hated sand and loved mountains. And so we went to Tennessee every year. And Nashville is one of the cities right now, I think, that is post-pandemic time, one of the cities that has kind of the largest growth in population and fun things to do, amazing food, hot chicken sandwiches, great music. And so I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome conference from a locality perspective. But the NASCA Six Summit is also a really great place to have an opportunity to bring credit union regulators, credit union executives, credit union vendors, people from NCUA, all together to talk about the issues that are pertinent to credit unions right now. 
And I will mention one of those because you talked about bully. I think state regulators were also kind of on top of that from the bank side because I think all the people who were mortgage brokers who decided that that wasn't a good career for them post Dodd-Frank and SAFE Act became bully salesmen. And I'm a little worried that right now they're all selling either participations or sub-debt to our financial institutions. And so that is a topic that I hope is a subject of conversation at the summit because it's we're seeing some interesting decisions around sub-debt and additional capital for credit unions is always a hot topic. So I imagine the summit is going to be very interesting this year, given the liquidity challenges and some of those issues that we have going on in the financial services world right now. I think it'll be great. I think you're right. And it's going to be a great agenda, great people attending, great topics. And as you said, a great location. I'm not going to be able to make it this year, but I always enjoyed it. And I did participate as part of NCUA. It was always very thought provoking. And listeners, if it's something that if you haven't been to Nashville and you haven't been to this summit, I highly encourage it. It, So you talked a great event. Yeah, it is a great event. So you talked about the growth that's happening in Nashville and in Tennessee. I've got a couple of folks that help me in Montana and they tell me that Montana is growing and you talk about office space and people working remotely. I think there may be a rush of people from Washington, Oregon, California who go, you know what, I'm remote now. I can go, let's go live in Montana. And have you seen those types of patterns in Montana? And then how is that impacting credit union growth? How is that impacting the state? It's been tremendous and really frustrating at times. I have wonderful human who works in my office who recently got married and she and her partner are looking to buy their first home. And here in Helena, where the majority of people are state employees or federal employees and average salaries are not high, the sort of average starting home price is right around $400,000. Montana has challenges around getting resources and materials for building, despite the fact that we have tons of like forests and timber and all of that, the rest of the materials associated with building a home, it's expensive to get things here and we just can't build enough housing fast enough. And I know that's a problem across the country, but in more rural communities, it's really challenging right now. We have had a tremendous uptick in people coming to live the good life that we have here in Montana. I think there were probably a number of Montanans who were hoping for a really harsh winter this year so that maybe some of them would go back to where they they came from. But it is leading to membership growth at our credit unions, asset growth at our credit unions, increased demands for the type of services and more digital access that people and other that have moved here from other places are more accustomed to. Montana for a long time, I have always been surprised at how many brick and mortar buildings our banks and credit unions are still putting up. We are still a brick and mortar community here in Montana. And I think that with the influx of population and the people who are moving here to do remote work, who are used to having digital access to everything, I think that there's going to continue to be increased and heightened demand for those digital services. Montana's also just received a major grant from the federal government to help with broadband because there are still a lot of places in Montana where internet access is a real challenge. It's if you live in a town here of 200 people, which is not unusual, and someone has to bring the internet to you 
30 miles from the nearest hub, that's an expensive proposition. And so looking at how we can do that, satellite, different options, is going to be part of the financial services landscape. Because as branches do close, we're going to have to bring people up to speed with digital banking services. And Montana has a very, traditionally had a very aged population. And digital banking is not their preferred method of banking. They like to go into their bank and talk to the tellers and find out what's going on in town. And so we've got a ways to go on that front, but our banks and credit unions are really meeting that challenge head on right now. Yeah, that relationship, particularly with the older members, the relationship between their favorite teller and stopping in and seeing them and asking how their kids and their grandkids are. It's a very small townish, and Montana has, as you said, you know better than me, a lot of small towns. One of my friends that lives in Montana, we were talking about where he went to college. And I, at the moment, I can't remember where it was, but he was talking about the same challenge. And the starter homes there were 500 or 550. And it was kind of landlocked because it was like in a valley amongst all the mountains. There's not a whole lot, even though it's big, a lot of it's unbuildable and beautiful, which is nice because it's going to stay unbuildable and beautiful. But it creates some challenges for where do you build the next place if you need to grow. Absolutely. And nobody wants to build on the other side of a mountain pass because we have winter for, I don't know, 11 months out of the year, from what I can tell. For a Mississippi girl who moved to Montana, it feels like winter lasts forever here. And yeah, I would be willing to bet a couple paychecks that your friend went to college in Bozeman, Montana, at Montana State University. Yeah, Yeah, it was Bozeman. (laughs) Yeah. And Bozeman has a challenge a ridiculously challenging housing market right now because it's a beautiful place and it's got a great downtown and a great college atmosphere, similar to Missoula, but a little more Western, has a little more of that feel that people are looking for in a mountain community. It's like a large veil in some ways with a college in it. And so, yeah, you can get a 1,200 square foot house for about 550 right now. And rates are high too. That makes up for it, right? (laughs) Speaking of rates being high, so you yep. know we went through historic events from the pandemic to a lot of money being put into the system to what do I do with that money? It's okay. It looks like it's going to stay. I'll put it into loans or investments. And then boom, the Fed decides to get inflation under control, raise rates 500 basis points in the shortest time, perhaps in history. I believe in history. And then at the same time, Montana has some growth because you got people coming there. So how has that played out there in Montana? And you mentioned liquidity and things like that. Any thoughts on all those words I just threw out there? Sure. The good news for Montana is that our bankers and credit union executives are generally, as a population, conservative, very risk averse, and are tremendous balance sheet managers. We absolutely, though, have some significant pressures on balance sheets right now. Money is moving out faster than anybody anticipated because of rate competition from mutual funds, from non-depository companies, from other investment opportunities. It is Money is moving and moving quickly. We still have significant loan demand because, like you said, we've had this population growth, business growth. We need services for the people who have moved here and expect sort of the level of services they had in their large city in Arizona, but now live in a small community in Montana and want that same level of infrastructure and both private and public services. So we've got a lot of pressure there, but I do think that Montana institutions are really primed to 
get through this time because they have a customer base that is very loyal to them, generally speaking. And so people here like to bank with their local banks. And so although money is leaving faster than we would have imagined, I think our institutions are going to be okay. Their repricing is pretty quick. A number of our institutions have significant ag portfolios. Those typically have sort of short-term abilities to reprice. But I guess I would say I always think that all things financial services are just a matter of time. And I mean, how long things last. So we can get through this and banks and credit unions can find a way to make money regardless of the interest rate, as long as they're projecting it correctly. And so I think at the end of the day, they'll be okay. I do have some concerns about some of the ag borrowers as commodity prices are improving, but input costs are really also pretty high right now. And then when you start talking about ag loans, operating loans, where the rates are going to be 10 plus percent, that begins to put some real pressure on margins for a number of borrowers and how we do that. Another thing that we are seeing at both banks and credit unions to come back to the housing issue is people who started building a home a year and a half ago, and it has taken a while due to challenges and getting materials post-pandemic are now getting to the end of the process and the house is far more expensive than they thought it would be, both due to those input costs, but really due to rates. So what their payment is going to be has in some cases almost doubled. And we are seeing where people have built homes that they can no longer afford. And we have great banks and credit unions that are trying to work with people in order to help them survive this from a timing perspective. And so we're bringing that onto the balance sheet and not doing these with the intent of reselling to the secondary market at this time. And so you've got some balance sheet risk there with the hope that these rates come down over the next few years and they're able to be moved to the secondary market in a time frame that doesn't put too much pressure on earnings. Yeah, boy, I can't imagine building a home and I guess a construction loan having to convert it into a, a conventional 30 year when rates have gone through the roof like this. And But the timing's everything and sometimes it's the only thing. Even if your input costs didn't change at all, if you were building a half a million dollar house, and you thought you were be able to lock in at three and a half percent, and now you're looking at six and a half, seven, that's a very different payment. That's a second job at night just to pay for the interest. And I'm very curious to see how that plays out across the country with everything, all the challenges the Fed has with raising rates to control the inflation and what that did to the balance sheets of banks and what it did to the affordability of housing and all that. Interesting times, but challenging times to be at the Fed or be in a credit union or a bank right now, or having built your home, just built your home and looking for financing. So, absolutely. That's one thing I can say before this job. I, you know, I'm a lawyer by trade. And when I started as the commissioner, I wasn't sure if it was going to be exciting enough because I was a litigation attorney and that's kind of a day game. So, every day there's some deadline, some pressure, some whatever. And I wasn't sure if financial services regulation was going to be exciting enough or fun enough. And quite frankly, it's been quite the ride over the past 12 years and has really been very enjoyable and satisfying from a career perspective. So I'll also make the pitch that if anybody is listening to this and wants to be a bank examiner, 
or credit union examiner, come on over. We would love to talk to you. Whether Montana or the state that you're in, almost every state in this country is looking for examiners right now. And it's a job that you can start right out of college and we do the training. If you've got a finance or an accounting background, we really kind of take you and we do the training, we pay for the training and it's an interesting career if you're into financial services. Uh, I can second that comment. Uh, 33 years at NCUA, started as an examiner and uh, learned an awful lot, met a lot of interesting people across the country. And the pendulum swings, you have times where the economy is doing well and then you learn certain things because of that and you have times where the pendulum goes the other direction and you can have some intense times where you learn a lot in a short period of time, but it's a great career. And on top of that, it's a very important, whether it's a bank or a credit union, you're providing crucial required services to everybody U.S. So totally agree with that. Well, and I think it's something that, you know, state commissioners really take to heart is that we have relationship with our regulated entities. And I know every CEO in this state at Bank or Credit Union, I try my very best to see them all at least annually if not more often, either at their, we have a wonderful trade association for credit unions, for instance, Montana's credit unions, that I try to get to their events and meet with credit unions there or meet with them during the exam process. Because ultimately, during the good times, you need to form those relationships, be their trusted partner, because sometimes, as you suggest, it goes the other direction. And you have to have some hard conversations you have to sit down and say, we really think you're doing a lot of great work for your community and for your members. But when it comes to your BSA program, we got to do better. And so if you are a trusted partner with them, if you know them, if they know you, they know that you're a direct, transparent communicator, then you can have those conversations. And they don't have to be some tragedy in the life of a CEO. They can just be a, hey, You've reached a certain size. You're in a certain market. We need more. We need better. And I trust you to get that done. You and your examiners can share things, not trademark secrets, but like best practices and different things. And that familiarity, there was a former NCUA board member who wants familiarity breeds consent. And so it just breaking down those barriers and knowing somebody allows there to just be a better conversation. And that's an advantage, but maybe a state versus federal advantage is there are a handful and you are devoted to Montana. And because of that, you get to know them perhaps a little bit better than the regional director that's three states over. Yeah, I think it is an advantage. I will tell you that my deputy, when I first started here and he was here with me for, I think, eight years, used to always say that he felt like that was the biggest benefit of the state charter was that when you were a state charter, you got two regulators. And to some people, that sounds like a nightmare, I guess. (laughs) More regulators does not sound good to a lot of people. But he made the point, and I truly believe it, that if you have two regulators, they push and pull on each other, and they hold each other accountable. And so our working relationship with the NCUA is as important to us as it would be to a federally chartered credit union who only has the NCUA. We try to make sure that exams and processes are consistent, that we are holding everyone to the same standards. But if we are overreacting or the NCUA is overreacting, there's a check and balance there in terms of what's a big deal and what's not a big deal, what's the appropriate regulatory response. 
And so whether it's working with the NCUA, our office, of course, also works with the Fed, the FDIC and the CFPB. It's really a partnership there that you don't get if you have a single regulator. And I know a lot of people would just choose one, but I do think there is some benefit to that balance. That's a really good summary of one of the benefits of being a state charter is getting that extra regulator, even though on the one side, terrible you, on the you, yeah, it on does, a shallow and, basis. And I'll tell you, I had a conversation with a client the other day where they're going, yeah, why do I want to have two? But in the same token, there is this check and balance that if NCUA wants to do something, you can say, well, hey, in Montana and other states, this might make more sense here. And we've tried it this way. And Again, back to the wisdom of crowds, it provides just a different perspective because of where you sit, and it does create a system of checks and balances. I consider it to be our job to bring the local perspective to like what's going on in the community that might be impacting things. You may not see that this is or not may not realize that this is right on the edge of an Indian reservation, and there's something going on there that might be impactful. And I consider it to be NCUA's job to say, Okay, well, something we're seeing across the country is that in credit unions of this size, we're beginning to see lapses or we're beginning to see this particular product sold to them that we don't think makes sense for credit unions or for their members. And so if we work together on that and they bring a more national perspective and we bring a more local perspective, ultimately, I do think that we provide better regulation, better feedback. So. I love the relationship with our federal regulators. I think there are states that sometimes kind of put up the arm bar. They want to be independent. And we do independent exams. We do mostly independent exams on the credit union side. But anytime the NCUA or the FDIC or somebody wants to come join in an exam, we're happy to have them. This is a shared responsibility. And the more voices at the table, as you said, a little bit of crowd goes a long way in terms of providing good feedback and good perspective. Yeah, that's a great perspective. That's a great way to look at it. I can tell that you must have amazing relationships with those federal regulators just by the way you approach things. So, Melanie, has there been any question that I didn't ask you that I should have asked you here today? I don't think so, but I will just once again say that I really appreciate the work that you're doing to kind of spread knowledge in the credit union space, talk about current issues, engage with the industry side, the regulatory side. Because at the end of the day, I do believe that regulators and institutions have the same ultimate goal, and certainly on the credit union side, of providing good, valuable services in a way that protects consumers and provides access to capital and small dollar credit. I think that there ultimately is the same desired outcome for both industry and regulators. And as long as that Mike, I was at dinner last night with a kid and her friend, and she told the joke. She said, did you hear that the music group One Direction broke up? And I was like, no. And she's like, they're going in different directions. And I was like, that's pretty cute. And so I would just say to follow on her joke that as long as we're all moving in the same direction, we'll end up in the same place. And that's a good outcome. And it's when those paths divide that things get a little squirrely. That's a great place to wrap it up. I love music. I love live music. And to end on a joke about a band, I love it. So, uh, Hopefully you like corny jokes, too. So That, too. Yeah, dad jokes, right? Dad jokes. (laughs) Nine-year-old girl jokes. (laughs) Nine-year-old girl jokes. Fantastic. Melanie, it's been great getting to know you better. And I'm really glad you had the opportunity to spend some time with me today and were able to share your wisdom with my audience. Thanks so much. 
Thanks, Mark. Take care. Yeah, you take care. And listeners, I want to thank you for listening. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 